Hey friends, we hope this message from C3 Fort Worth helps you see Jesus like never before. And if you're in or around Fort Worth, we'd love to meet you on a Sunday or at one of our weekly dinner parties. Welcome to week three, new space. Uh, I think it's week three. It's week three, right? Yeah, yeah, week three. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, awesome, awesome. Well, we're making slowly making progress. Uh-oh. There, oh, Scott, don't do that. What the heck was that about? Um, no, I'm excited. If you're, if you're new with us, welcome. Glad you're here. A church that does life together, at least we try. And uh, not always perfect at it, but we're doing our best. Um, and it's good. This is uh, week three of the new space, new building, and it is uh, a work in progress. Um, and uh, just getting there week by week. Uh, next week we are, just a heads up, next week we will share a bit more vision about exactly how this space is going to be used. I know you're going to hear it. I'm going to say it over and over and over and over again, um, that this will be a building that is for the city, used by the church. Um, the heartbeat is not to have a space that we use once a week, and we shout and hoot and holler and we do all the stuff, which is fantastic. I love it. It's one of, I, I don't know, I may have missed church like a handful of times in my whole life, and uh, I just love it. I don't do this because I have to. I do this because I enjoy it. And uh, I love being around a bunch of different people. Uh, I love when the church doesn't all look the same. I don't know about you. Um, uh, but uh, we want this building and this space to be a place um, that runs the race in case. Sorry, I just felt like I wanted to rhyme. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I want to be an MC. And uh, I, but I want this, I do want this building to be a place that is, uh, is as much an extension of a, uh, who we are rather than an identification of who we are. It is, it is a heartbeat to see you seeing Jesus Sunday mornings, Monday mornings, Tuesday mornings, but also um, when people walk into this place um, from all kinds of streets, all kinds of hearts would walk in this place, and whether they realize they're in a church, they have come to church. Amen? And uh, it might not have a worship team set up, may not have um, this amazing preacher up here talking. Um, I got to give myself some props, you know. Steve always makes fun of me, so... Um, but I, so I'm excited to share that next week, and then in mid-November, we'll do uh, Vision Builders uh, Gala, which is our way of partying together, celebrating a little bit, and committing to uh, the future of not only this, but the resources that we have as a church. So excited about that. Uh, Bruce mentioned this. Uh, he just felt like uh, the Lord, he's, he had some issues with his left ear last night as he was preparing, and he just felt like, and you may or may not be down with the healing thing or the word thing, but stick with us long enough, you'll be all right. And uh, he just felt like he, he, there's some people in here maybe who are dealing with, whether it be spiritually or physically, how they're hearing and the things that are going on in their ear. And uh, I've been deaf in my left ear for uh, a good bit, and I'm still praying for it. And uh, either now or later, it will be healed. Amen? Um, so, hey, I want to, um, I, I, I never preach with my computer. I'm more of a flow preacher. I'm more of a conversational preacher. I'm more of a, um, uh, I'm just going to give what I got kind of preacher. Uh, but today was the day that I wanted to just more like give you a book report. Um, today, it, you know, you ever like uh, share something that you read and it just does not sound as good as what you read, right? You go, oh yeah, hey, here's my thing. And, uh, and they just look at you and you remember the moment you read it and you were amazed. You had this epiphany. Everything had changed. My life is going to be different. And you share it with your friend and they quickly move on. Um, and it's because you just couldn't say it the way they said it. Um, and so I, I just kind of, I, I, I do tend to read a lot. 
Um, this whole season of COVID and dealing with racial injustice and dealing with some of the things that we're dealing with and now moving a few weeks from now into an election, uh, which I've heard has a little bit of tension in it. Uh, I, I'm, you know, I, I'm doing my best and I'm one who reads and then argues. Um, and just so you know, debate and argument is in the Bible. Jesus did it. Paul did it. So stop getting mad at me when I yell at you. Um, I don't yell. I argue. And my way of arguing is to process. I tell you guys this all the time. Meredith gets tired of it. Um, I, I process by saying what I'm thinking. Have you ever, like, had a thought, and it wasn't until you said that thought that you realized your thought was ridiculous? Like, you thought last night when you went to bed that wearing what you're wearing today was going to be a good idea. And then you, <laughs> I'm not pointing at anybody. Just don't look at your friends. Um, so what I want to do today, we, we started a pattern of heart and mind, and I'm going to do my best to follow along. The reason I don't love notes is because I feel like there's a lot of pressure when I have to use notes um, to say what I wrote down. Um, and then I'm literally talking to you and arguing with myself all at the same time. Uh, very ineffective, not efficient, and uh, I love, I'd rather preach out of the overflow than necessarily just something I found out yesterday. So I want to um, share this with you guys. We, we started a pattern last week called Heart and Mind. And the way we framed it was Philippians, when uh, Paul talks about the, the mind of Christ. And the mind of Christ, when he's speaking to that idea, is not necessarily speaking to the, the, the actual thoughts of Jesus, but the way Jesus thought. And I think what you find out as you follow Jesus through the Gospels is that he's not necessarily always telling you exactly what to think, but how to think. And what we've tended to do in the church is try to tell you what to think rather than how to think. And I don't know if you know this. I know we don't always like this, but there's a lot more gray in the Bible than black and white. And I don't mean that in terms of character things. I mean that in terms of circumstantial things. The Bible does not tell me if I should go with that mechanic or that mechanic. The Bible doesn't tell me how I should paint my house. The Bible doesn't tell me what I should name my kid. And some of us thought so, and so we named them Bible names. The Bible doesn't always tell us those things. It doesn't tell us we should take this job or not take this job. It doesn't. The Bible is a place where you are, you are seeing Jesus fully reliant on his Father. You are seeing Jesus lean into, because what does Philippians say? He fully emptied himself. And St. Ambrose says, hey, this is the pattern. The pattern is that Jesus fully emptied himself. Behold the pattern. There's how you live your life. And the attitude of Jesus was that he did not consider himself to be... To, to strive for equality with God even though he was. He wasn't trying to win an argument. He was trying to become the person. And so Jesus is in this uh, place where uh, the heart and mind are engaged. And, and we said this last week that we tend to be people who are either emotional or rational. We tend to put people in those buckets. Okay, that person's always emotional. I'm not going to go to them for advice. I will go to them for a hug, Right? That person never hugs me, but I can get good advice, right? We tend to live in that place. If you're being emotional, there's no chance you can be rational. And if you're being rational, then you just don't show any emotion and you're very monotone. I tend to think the Bible doesn't do that for us. Jesus was always and regularly someone who was in the moment, he was both compassionate and also had this wisdom about him. He was able to go from healing a man of leprosy to dealing with the Pharisees who were trying to argue with him. He always seemed to have both working all at the same time. Jesus lived there. Dallas Willard says this. Here we go. You ready for the book report? Are you guys ready? All right. 
If you want to look up Dallas Willard and his, his idea of who Jesus was as a logician, um, talking about the idea of logic. He knows it's not a word. I promise he's still smart. Um, but he, he is one who wants to begin to bring back to the forefront that Jesus was a critical thinker. That Jesus exercised his mind as much as his heart. And so Dallas Willard says this. He says, today we automatically position him, or Jesus, away from or even in opposition to the intellect and intellectual life. Almost no one would consider him to be a thinker. For lack of appropriate understanding of Jesus, we come to do our work in intellectual, scholarly, and artistic fields on our own. We do not have confidence, otherwise known as faith, that he can be our leader and teacher in matters we spend most of our time working on. Thus, our efforts often fall short of what they should accomplish and may even have less effect than the efforts of the godless because we undertake them only with the arms of the flesh. Our faith in Jesus Christ rises no higher than that. We do not see him as he really is, a maestro of all good things. You cannot trust Jesus in areas in which you do not think him competent. So some of us leave Monday morning, we did our Devo, and we leave him there because he can't be an accountant. He can't handle customers on customer service calls. He can't, we don't inquire of him when we're dealing with a, a judgment call when, in our workplace. No, no, no. Jesus was, is, and will be always one we can rely on in every place. In fact, one would say, one commentator talks about the idea that we don't have a theology, a theology of calling. In other words, we tend to not think of Jesus as one who would go into every place, and so we don't always take him there. But we should be those who engage our calling with an intellect and a compassion and a heart. And we find this in Jesus. He's always right in the thick of it. He's always right in the middle of it. He's always right in the... I don't, I don't think it's accidental that he always finds himself in these discussions with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and the leaders of the day. I don't think it's accidental. In fact, I know for the Apostle Paul it was not. If you go to Acts 17, one of my favorites, or Acts 19, what you find is a, is a, a disciple who is doing everything he can to reason and discuss and talk about. In fact, at one point it says he went and spent three months in the lecture hall, which is a place where we had the Q&As of the day. I, hey, what's the question? All right, let's talk about it. Three months. We won't spend three minutes with someone we disagree with. And Paul was making every effort to show up in the place so that he could have these discussions, have these open question and answer moments with people. These were not people who trusted everything he was saying. These are not people who already agreed with him. Paul was going into, uh, into a place that was already contrary to what he was already talking about. Acts 17, one of my favorite scriptures, it says he went to the temple to talk about Jesus, and then he went to the marketplace to talk about Jesus. Paul didn't have any place that was off limits for Jesus. And it's probably because he believed Jesus could handle whatever place he went to. He could probably handle whatever situation he went into. So I want to read out of Mark chapter 12. This is one of many places. In fact, all of Mark 12 is kind of Jesus' encounter. That once he goes to the Pharisees, then he deals with the Sadducees, then he deals with the scribes. They all ask different questions. Two of the three most likely are there simply to trap him and to get him disqualified. Uh, the other is probably an honest uh, question and wondering about what do you, what's your position on the question of the day. Um, and you find this in Matthew 22. You find the same story. 
And so Jesus is in this place, and they are coming to him to ask him. So I'm just going to read a few verses, say a few quotes, take credit for all of it, and then we'll pray. Mark 12, verse 13, and, we, and you guys, if, you, if you've been here at any length of time, you know that, they, that I like to read the verse, talk about the verse, then read the next verse. Sometimes I do it all at the front end, but uh, I don't have a good enough memory to do that. So, Mark 12, verse 13, then they sent some of the Pharisees, then they sent some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to Jesus to trap him in his words. I don't know, I feel like maybe you and I know what that looks like these days. We get trapped in our words. Uh, Welcome to the late night Instagram posts, right? The, we get trapped in our words. And, I, and, and what they're actually saying is what they're trying to do is position Jesus in his words. What they're trying to do is put him and limit him by whatever his answer is going to be. In other words, they're actually trying to say, if Jesus says this, he's in this camp. If he says this, he's in this camp. And if he, if he does say this, then he's disqualified from that group. If he does it, then he's disqualified from that group. You can't be in both. I'm trying to position you so I can like you or dislike you, love you, or hate you. I don't know. It feels kind of relevant. It feels just a little bit relevant that if I say something about this, one of my most, okay, I know we're not doing our power and politics pattern for another few weeks. But one of the most frustrating things in the moment right now is we can't celebrate and question the same person we're voting for. You might like Biden, and you might say all the good things about him. Could you just say one or two bad? Not because I want you to be mad. I'm just saying let's be honest. You might like Trump. You can say a bunch of good things about him. But can you be honest? He ain't all that all the time. Let's be people who go, oh, okay, I'm, I, I think there's good here, and there's good here, and there's bad here, and there's bad here. And, and in the coddling of the American mind, uh, the authors talk about this idea that we have relegated the world to good people and bad people. We have said, okay, these, there are good people and bad people. We always tend to position ourselves on the good side. Rarely do we ever say, I'm kind of straddling the line today. We tend to go, if you say this, then, you're, then, then, then you are a bad person. And then we forget all the things we said to our mom when we were 15. You know, like we, we, we are all good and bad. And we all need grace and truth. It is necessary for all of us. And when they came, they said to him, teacher, this, I love this. They're just trying to butter him up. Teacher, we know you are truthful. And don't care what anyone thinks, nor do you show partiality, but you teach the way of God truthfully. What, what terrible people. Is it lawful? They're the bad people. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? What are they trying to do? They're trying to make a, a moral or spiritual discussion political. And we tend to do that now. We tend to make every spiritual principle we should adhere to a political legislative policy or vice versa. You can never legislate morality. You can try, and it's okay to put things in the books that speak to life and freedom and hope. I'm not, I'm not speaking against any of those things. I'm just simply saying at some point we will have to deal with the heart of people. And I don't know, someone doesn't know the front door is over here. Um, it, oh, the kids are throwing the football? Will somebody go fumble ruski. Go grab the dang thing. Um, it's probably my child, so I'm, I can say that. 
<laughs> so they're trying to flatter him. And there, there's this new documentary, I, I'm sure, or, or many of you guys have heard of it. It's on Netflix. It's called The Social Dilemma. And the director of that uh, speaks to this idea. He says this. He says, I realize, as he speaks about the film, I realize that because it's designed, being social media, to customize experiences for each of us, it's almost like it's putting us all on different islands of thought. That we're all living on our own island, and we get to put whatever thoughts here that we want, whether or not they can stand up to scrutiny, whether or not they can stand up to uh, an argument, whether or not they need to be shaped a little bit better than what I posted, that whether or not they need to be shaped a little bit better than what I yelled at my neighbor, whether or not we end up on these islands of thought, and we can say whatever we want to say. Alistair McGrath, in one of the best books I've seen on wisdom, it's short, if you want it, grab it, on, it's called Mere Discipleship. He says, one of the more disturbing characteristics of this post-truth age is that people limit themselves to their own narrow communities regarding connection or communication with other communities as signs of intellectual contamination or cultural degradation. We all too often live in self-reinforcing and self-referential intellectual and cultural bubbles. He's really smart. Members of in-groups who demonize inferior out-groups. Thus dividing the world into heroes and villains. There's that coddling of the American mind. And unproblematically locating ourselves among the former, being the good group. We read only approved newspapers and safe web posting from trusted authorities, anxious to avoid any hint that we might recognize good or truth in others, which would invariably lead to a humiliating ejection from our favored in-group. I told you, I would never have been able to say that. It is where we, and I'm not saying that what you're saying is, not, is right or wrong. I'm simply saying that the idea that we should live in these islands and continue to push people away is antithetical to the gospel and antithetical to who Jesus was. Jesus was one that put himself in the middle of the discussion. He could have stayed in certain places and run away from arguments and debates and discussions, but he did not do that. Verse 15, but knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why are you testing me? Bring me a denarius to look at. Knowing their hypocrisy, this is something you might call discernment. Discernment. Discernment is defined as the quality of being able to grasp and comprehend what is obscure, an act of perceiving something, a power to see what is not evident to the average mind. The quality of being able to grasp and comprehend what is obscure. Here's what I love about discernment. It is as much about discovery as it is about knowledge. It's our ability to seek the truth. We should, as Christians, always be in the posture of willingness and, and desire to grow and extend ourselves beyond where we currently are. That doesn't always, the brain does this. The way the brain grows is by the same thing Jesus says, that I would prune the things that are growing and just, just get rid of the things that are not. The brain will make decisions about what is going to profit you in the future and what will not. It will expand itself, but it will come back to its original size. That is the way the brain works. The brain cuts things out. That's why sometimes you go back and read your journal, because I know you all do one, or you go back and see a photo, and you go, oh, I forgot about that. It's not because it wasn't important, but the brain is deciding in the moments every day as you learn more and more information what to keep, what not to keep. What, what, to, what to process, what not to process. What to leave behind, what to hold on to. Uh, Alistair McGrath talking about C.S. Lewis. Here's another one. that uh, For Lewis, people are too easily taken in by the latest cultural and intellectual fashions. 
wanting to be up to date in their thinking. They uncritically accept the latest ideas they read about in the media. Reading older books, Lewis argues, helps us to realize that basic assumptions have been quite different in different periods of time. We need to remember that the ideas we tend to regard as hopelessly old-fashioned and out of date were once seen as cutting edge. What was once new and brilliant becomes old and stale. Perhaps Lewis seems a little too scathing when he declares that much which seems certain to the uneducated is merely temporary fashion. Yet his point is fair. Much recent thought is fleeting, lacking the staying power to excite and inform later generations. So is Lewis saying that only old ideas are, are any good and that new ideas are invariably wrong? No. He is asking us to be critical. New ideas need to be looked at carefully. They may be good. They may be bad. But ideas are not automatically good because they are new. Similarly, many but not all old ideas have permanent value. They have proved themselves through the centuries and will continue to be important in the future. We need to figure out which ideas and values are of lasting importance and hold fast to them. Are you liking the book report so far? Y'all don't have to read it. I already read it, so you're good. But the hope of this pattern is, is not to only engage your heart in the things that you should care for, but to challenge your mind in the things that you should think about. That we should be Christians and believers who follow Jesus, who have a heart beating fully and a mind that is thinking deeply. We should be willing to hear other thoughts, willing to hear other ideas, willing to hear... The, the, the way people tell a counterfeit bill is not by studying all the counterfeits, but by making sure you study the real thing. So what we want to do as believers is make sure that we're seeing Jesus. Make sure that we're putting Jesus on our mind and heart regularly so that when counterfeit ideas come in, we can recognize them. But we are also not running from those things. We are discerning through them. We are discovering through them. And discernment will take time. That's why uh, the writer of James talks about this idea of training your mind. This, there's a process of going through this where you train your mind. Verse 16, they, bought a, they brought a coin whose image and inscription is this, he asked them. Caesar's. Sorry, I read that too quickly. Whose image and inscription is this, Jesus asked them. And they replied, Caesar's. This is the way Jesus always argued. He always asked the question. Always ask the question. His goal was to bring people into the conversation, that they would have to use their, their mind as much as he had to use his. Verse 17, Jesus told them, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they were utterly amazed at him. Why? Because they believed it was either or. They believed you were going to either have to say, give it to Caesar, or that you were going to have to say, uh, reject the government. That you, you were have to choose one, put you in one camp or the other. Jesus just seemed to always have a greater imagination than that. Jesus always seemed to go beyond what people thought possible when he was answering things. Y your mind is not purely an intellectual muscle. It is also an imaginative, imaginative one. That, that part of when we talk about thinking, and part of what we talk about the mind, especially when we read it in the Bible and the Jewish writers and the Greek writers, what we see in this idea is that there would be an imagination. That we would imagine things. So when Jesus hears a question like theirs, he doesn't immediately go, well, they gave me two options. I have to choose between one or the other. He goes, let me think about what other things are they not seeing. Jesus' arguments rarely left someone with the only options they gave him. He usually took them beyond what they thought was possibility. 
He's not doing it to condemn them. He's trying to get all the time for us to expand our minds. Andy Crouch, in a book called Culture Making, another good one, says one of the most striking things about the world is just how little it discloses to us, to us about its true meaning. It is full of mystery at its best, full of wonder, uh, at its best full of wonder, at its worst full of terror. Making sense of the wonder and terror of the world is the original human preoccupation. Alistair McGrath says, the language of seeing reality calls into question the adequacy of simply thinking about our world. Christian discipleship is imaginative, not simply rational, demanding the expansion of the capacity of all our faculties, reason, imagination, emotions, to accommodate the rich and overwhelming vision of God set out in the New Testament and enacted in the worship and the proclamation of the church. The imaginatively compelling and intellectually enriching vision of reality is mediated or brought forth by the community of faith. If you guys want me to put this out on social media later, I'll, I'll send all the quotes later. I want you to hear that last line. This imaginatively compelling and intellectually enriching vision of reality is mediated by the community of faith. We should be a people imagining what the world can look like. Not choosing between what the world is offering us but imagining what the world can look like, imagining how this can come together, imagining a third, fourth, fifth, sixth option, imagining other ideas, other ways, coming up with solutions rather than waiting for someone else to give it to us. The church should be a place where we are intellectually stimulated by the things God is saying to us, and also our heart is growing more and more every day for the hearts that inhabit the earth we live in. Verse 28, I'm going to jump down a few verses because I want to go ahead and close this up, but I, 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 this is why I'm trying to do all the notes. Okay, verse 28 of the same chapter. One of the scribes approached. This is after the Sadducees had asked a, a question about resurrection, which is one of theirs. Uh, they didn't believe in resurrection, so that was one of their arguments on a regular basis to see in the Gospels. Paul counters that in Corinthians. Verse 28 says, one of the scribes approached when he heard them debating and saw that Jesus answered them well. I just want to, I just want to mention the word debating. Cool. Okay. When they saw and heard him, when he heard them debating and saw that Jesus, who was participating in the debate, answered them well, he asked them, what does that mean? This scribe who was on an honest search, and he wasn't a Pharisee, well, he might have been a Pharisee, most likely he was, not all scribes are Pharisees, but regardless. This, the question he brings forth seems to be a bit more honest, a bit more authentic. It's not one where he's trying to trap them. It's almost like it didn't say the Pharisees, it says this scribe. It's almost like the scribe had seen the discussion going on and thought, okay, you know what? I'm seeing how Jesus is answering, not just how he's loving, but how he is answering. And it drew the scribe in to go deeper and to push farther and to ask Jesus another question. What does the church look like that? What does the church look like a place where they go, wow, the church has imagined and intellectually enriched the earth? and what it can look like, and what it can be, and I want to ask them some more questions. What if that was the church? Mind and heart, engaged in answering the problems of our day. Will we have every answer? No, except kind of yes. No, because we won't do what people want us to do, because Jesus didn't do it. We're not going to tell you everything you should think. We're going to tell you how you can think. What's the process? What do, you, 
What do you do? What do you, what do you imagine? I don't think we often think of thinking as an imaginative exercise. The problem right now is that we are never bored. You know what happens when you're bored? You imagine. The other day I was getting a coffee and I left my, my phone in the car with my son. And uh, my, my wife was there too. So, um, and uh, Okay, so I, um, I, I left it and I just had to stand there. Like waiting for a coffee. Like I didn't know what to do. And I started thinking of stuff. Like, oh, that's, yeah, I wonder what, okay, yeah, cool. I feel like if I would stood there for another 10 minutes, I would have solved all the world's problems. <laughs> but, but there's, you, you just, you got to, like we said in January, you have to withdraw so that you can return with something valuable. Jesus answered the scribe, well, let me go, sorry, the scribe heard him and saw that Jesus answered well. He asked him, which command is the most important of all? This is the question of everyone always asks. They all want to know, what is the meaning of life? What's the command? Because the command would have guided all of their lives. The law of Moses would have given them all the rules and all the regulations, all the stuff. And again, the rules that Jesus puts forth are always for our benefit, just like the guys who draw lines on the highway. We want to make sure we're living life well together. Which command is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is listen, Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, that, why is he saying that? That is a phrase they would have said in the temple on an almost daily basis. He would have, what he's trying to do in this discussion is agree. What he's trying to do in this discussion is find commonality. We agree on this, that the Lord is the only. He is the one. He is above all, and we worship him. Now let me get to your question. Let's start there with people. I, I don't like his post. Let me find out what we agree on. Let, let me find out what we, what we do love. Jesus, in verse 30, says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Yeah, we get that one. With all your soul. We kind of understand that one. With all your mind. Don't always think about that one. And with all your strength. The second is love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than this. And we understand all the other ones. The mind one, what does it look like? What does it really truly look like to love the Lord your God with your mind? So I think sometimes we try so hard to love him with our heart that we forget to engage him with our mind, and it's our mind where we see him. It's our heart where we feel him. It is those two things together that expand our view of who he is. Our mind, if it's imagining who God is, our mind, if we're reading through Psalm 145 like we did a few weeks ago, when we do those things, we, we are expanding the vision of our mind. We sang it just a moment ago. Let me love, yeah, but let me see you as you are. It is beholding Jesus that makes us wise. How do we love Him with our thinking? How do we love him with our imagination? How do we love him with our intellect? How do we love him with our discernment? How do we love him with our thought processes? I don't know if you've ever heard of the 10%. You only use 10% of your brain, right? They make movies on this thing. If you just, got, if you just could access a few more percent, you'd be all right. Um, it's kind of defeating. Like, oh, only 10. Okay, great. I'll just make it through. Um, it's not true, actually. It's kind of a myth. It's um, that doesn't, it's not a real thing. You don't measure that. You don't, you know, well, oh, you got, and because I think I'm, it's like, okay, that dude obviously has 11 and I'm working with seven and it's not fair. Um, it, it's not a real thing. In fact, when you go to get coffee in the morning 
and make it and pour it and uh, navigate your kitchen. And you're using pretty much all the different places in your brain to get that done. Y your brain is active all the time. Your brain is thinking all the time. It, it, is, it is always stimulated by things. They talk about waking up and having a horizon view. That's why I think people on the beach are always more spiritual. Um, the, 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 sometimes when we live in a city and we see all buildings and we don't see the horizon, we can actually begin to limit our thinking. There's a horizon view. We have to, as people, both imaginatively, spiritually, and physically, begin to expand where we see and how far we can see so that we can remember that this world is bigger than we thought. It turns out that, uh, we, that we use virtually every part of the brain, that most of the brain is active almost all the time. Let's put it this way. The brain represents 3% of the body's weight and uses 20% of its energy. That sounds intense. Carolyn Leaf, some of you know, I'm not going to read the whole quote because I feel like I'm really just going for it. It says, research shows that 75 to 98% of mental, physical, and behavioral illness, listen to that, 75 to 98% of mental, physical, and behavioral illness comes from one's thought life. That is verified on multiple, uh, multiple studies. Uh, one article says the statistics are interesting. One in five Americans admit feeling overloaded by information. It may not seem like it, but this means that, amount, that around 20% of your coworkers on a daily basis are operating in a mental fog. They are not all there. And you wonder why they didn't send you that email or check in when they were supposed to or it's because they can't handle the information they got, and neither can you, and you guys are running into each other on a regular basis. And the critical thinking becomes impaired. If you consume too much information, it becomes harder to distinguish between high-quality and poor-quality content. The outcomes can be dramatic. If you stop questioning the trustworthiness of information you consume, it becomes easier to be manipulated. Things like fake news, phishing, and scams flourish exactly for that reason, because we forget to think critically at precisely the time that doing so is most important. There's a study at a TED Talk. This guy, he's a behavioral economist and, he, uh, economist, and he thinks all people are crazy. You don't study people's economic behaviors and not think we're all a little bit loony. And uh, he said, you know, there's a, a study done of doctors who, uh, w when a patient comes in on preceding a hip surgery and he realizes that they hadn't done the ibuprofen yet, uh, that, that if you're given those two options of, wait, maybe this ibuprofen will work, uh, that he'll pull back from the surgery. And he'll say, hey, let's not do the surgery yet. Let's use ibuprofen. If the same doctors are given the option of, hey, hip surgery or these two medicines, they will proceed with the hip surgery. That's not to say they're bad. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that for many of us, we like to think that we're thinking. And oftentimes, we're leaning towards that thing which is easiest. We're leaning towards that thing because that's comp. i got to choose between those two, and I'm not sure which one will work, and I'm not entirely sure how this is going to play out. And I don't know. I, mean, I might end up back here anyway, so let's just go ahead and do the... I'm not trying to discourage you that your mind doesn't work. I'm just telling you that you need to love Jesus with it because you need discernment to grow. You need to, to lean into things that haven't always been working well. We are hardwired for nothing but learning. Now, here's, let me tell you something. I want, I want, I want you to hear this, and then we're going to be done. Um, the, the one reason that the, the current climate is so dangerous, not just for whether you're red or blue or what part of the city you live in, it's, it's dangerous because... Uh, your brain learns better when you're wrong than when you're right. And if all you're doing is convincing yourself you're right, your brain is not growing. Your mind is not getting strengthened. We learn by the things we're challenged by. We learn by the things that push back against that which we think we already know. 
We learn by exposing ourselves to ideas that might just have some good in them, might just have something we can work with. We are not good and bad people separated. We are good and bad people together. There are people out there, and we, we cannot demonize people. The only reason we demonize people is we forget that there's a supernatural world that is pushing against the earth. And we just want to, we, when we forget that, when that's our worldview that that doesn't exist, guess who becomes the demons? You, 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 you. I want to read this one last quote because Jesus, uh, uh, Jesus answers the question and the scribe comes back to him. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you, scribe. You have correctly said that he is one and there is no one else except him. And to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength. And the band can come on up. I know I'm taking a little extra time, so I don't want you to wait too long. And to love your neighbor as yourself is far more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. Look at, listen to what happens here. Sometimes we just end it with Jesus saying it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. No, no, no. Here's what happens. This is what Jesus always wants to happen. Jesus looks at him and, answer, and he says, he answered wisely. Jesus saw that he answered wisely and said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Jesus does not want to pull you into this conversation to make you feel less. He wants to pull you into this conversation to remind you that you're made for more. He wants you to pull you in to make your mind engage with the truth. And, and, the, and the scribe actually said, oh, this is more important than the sacrifices and the stuff. Jesus didn't say that. The scribe said that because Jesus had expanded his thoughts and taught him how to think, not just what to think. And all of a sudden, the scribe was the one who answered rightly. We now get further truth from the scribe because Jesus taught the scribe how to think. Jesus is partnering with you and I. He's not wanting you to sit in a room and wait to just drop some wisdom from heaven, although that can happen. He's wanting you to engage your brain, engage your mind, engage your imagination, engage these things, engage the problems of our day, not with a way of condemning it, but in a way of drawing out of it even more truth than you ever thought was there. Drawing out of it more grace than you ever thought was possible. To look at it and say, oh, it's even more important than obedience and sacrifice? And Jesus goes, yeah, you're right. We got taught by Jesus and the scribe. We found something out today from Jesus and the one who came questioning. Jesus, Jesus is not here to make you think less. He's here to think, make you think more. Alistair McGrath says this, and I, I, I want to end with this quote. It's one of my favorite quotes of all time. He says, human logic may be rationally adequate, but it is also ex existentially deficient. It may be rationally adequate, but it is also existentially deficient. Faith declares that there is more to life than this. It doesn't contradict reason. It transcends it. It does not contradict it. It transcends it. The church should be the people who, when they're positioned in between two choices, we bring another choice. The church, when, when presented with only two options, and we're going to position you on one side or the other, we go, we don't live by those rules. We bring in the kingdom, and the kingdom can live wherever the heck it wants to. The kingdom with Jesus at the center. I hope this encouraged you today. I know I read a lot of quotes and a lot of things. Uh, maybe it challenged you. Maybe you're like, okay, I got it by the first quote. We good. Um, 
But I want you and I to be a church that engages our mind. At the same time, we're engaging our heart. Amen? Hey, let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for who you are. I thank you for what you've done. I thank you for what you're doing. I thank you for what you're up to. God, I pray that today, right now, we can love you with our mind. God, that we can imagine even more of you with our mind. We can imagine all the possibilities. And while we have reasoned adequately, God, existentially, in our thoughts about what this is all about, reason doesn't always work. We want to go beyond the two options. We want to go beyond the choice of this or that. Either or. God, we want to live in the both end of the kingdom. We want to live in a place where we firmly plant our feet on Jesus and all that he brings. But God, we use our imagination to build a house. We use our imagination to engage. God, this does not mean that we have to sound like Alistair McGrath or Dallas Willard. We do not have to sound like these brilliant men and women of the past. But God, I pray that what it does do is challenge us to love you with our intellect, to love you with our imagination, to put ourselves in position to being challenged by the thoughts of others, not so that we can condemn them when they're wrong and not so that we can feel condemned when we don't get it, but so that in all of it we are challenging and growing in our mind. Lord, I pray that failure no longer becomes something we condemn. When we mess up or when we slip up, Lord, I pray it is a place where we grow. I pray it is a place where we insert our faith and we see far beyond what this world can offer in this moment. Lord, this world will not, this world's fate will not be decided in a month. Of course, it will affect things in the next few years and even maybe a few decades, whatever the case might be, but it will not affect the church. Why? Because the church is not built on who we vote for. The church is built on who created us. And in all circumstances, and in every trial, and in every difficulty, we rejoice. And in every moment, we love you with our heart, with our soul, with our mind, and with our strength. Let us be people who answer well so that more people will come asking questions. Thank you, Jesus, that you are here now. You are moving. And Holy Spirit, you are teaching and growing, reminding us of the things that Jesus has said. In Jesus' mighty name we pray.